One of the ways that we are um, made in the image of God is our ability to imagine the future. The idea of without a vision that people perish, it's wired into our psyche uh, because God is visionary. Jesus is visionary. He had a vision of dying on the cross and then and then winning for himself through the spirit down through the ages, billions of people for himself. And we are the image of God. And I, I don't know, I, even as a child, I had dreams and visions. I once, as a six-year-old, went out in my grandfather's huge garden and began to dig a hole with a set purpose in mind. I was going to dig a tunnel up to my friend Kim's house, half mile up County Road 11. I knew I could do it if I just put my effort to it. I saw it in my mind. Only Grandpa filled in the hole with a backhoe that night, and I was disappointed by that. Also, in second grade, my my friend Jeff Nichols and I, uh, several to- several recesses, spent the whole time planning a, a world journey in a boat we would build. I had the lumber for it. It was in the, the used lumber behind our in- implement shed. My dad had torn down a barn, and there was all kinds of lumber there. We built all kinds of things with the lumber, including nine tree forts over the over a few years. I dreamed of a you know, tree forts all over our farm, and I got them. And um, But I actually started building the boat. I put a, a board here, a board here, and what else? You just put boards through there like this, and you cut off the edges, and you've got to start on your boat. Only uh, I tried it in the creek, and it really didn't float that well. So, But I had a dream, I had a vision, and as a child, they, they didn't fail, but that didn't, I mean, they didn't work. They failed, but that didn't stop me from dreaming. And I remember uh, when we were pastoring at, at Philadelphia Church in the Astoria area, we lived in a Victorian house, uh, first house we'd ever bought. 1892, it was uh, built. And I remember on rainy days, which was almost every day, um, sitting on the porch in the rain and dreaming about what I would do with our little place there and, and uh, how the church would develop. I hope for a, I hope for a uh, gym because, boy, if it's raining every day, families could use volleyball and uh, basketball every every night couldn't they and uh, you know that's the dream that came true I actually we got a gym built on the property there that went with the church and and uh you know I, I I dreamed of having a Christian school I already helped start one and I want to start another and we did that and that school's been going for 30 years now and, and very strong and and uh so there are dreams and visions that have come true in my life but many haven't I uh, uh in my early ministry dreamed often of um of numerical development for the church and growth and prayed for it and we would have different times in Astoria it was a, a pretty incredible growth I thought it was related to something I was doing at the time but realized later <laughs> it's got sovereign blessing of God you know but um, in recent years I I feel like I've actually matured as a leader I'm, I suspect that's good news to you uh, and my dreams are not so much for numerical development as blessing what God is actually doing in emerging ministries that God brings to us, but also instead of seeing a big work, seeing big people. And one of my great joys is to see people develop in their whole, in a holistic approach of being people that are pursuing good health for their bodies and a good recreational life. I told you I'm moving on from motorcycles these days to surfing and to skydiving <laughs> recreationally. Also having a, an intimate worship life with God that's authentic and discerning and knowing what your own special contribution is 
in terms of your own calling and giftedness and fully loving the church and loving those in the world through the anointed ministries that God has given you to fully celebrate in your own Jesus journey on your pilgrimage to the celestial city. So these are the areas that I'm focusing now. And my, my, visions, my vision these days is really to try to discern in the pages of the New Testament the vision of Jesus. What does he want? And one of the great holy places of vision of, that Jesus has, and by the way, his visions are always successful. Doubly successful because in John 17... This holy of holy places, holiest of holy places. In the reading of it, you almost want, almost want to take your shoes off and say, man, this is holy ground where I'm communing with vision casting amongst the Trinity. John 17, Jesus calls on his father for the vision of what he hopes his church will be. And uh, I'm quite confident in preaching this message for two reasons. One, Jesus' vision is 100% going to be fulfilled. That means everything we, I exhort and cajole and guilt motivate you into doing this morning is going to be consistent with what God is already planning on doing in your life. But also this very, very important reality that everything that, John, that Jesus prays in John 17, he's asking his dad for. And I want to ask you a question. Could the Father deny Jesus a prayer? Could the Father ever say no to Jesus, his son? So there's a huge momentum behind this talk this morning because, of, because it's Jesus' vision and because the Father is getting behind it with all the authority and blessing of heaven. So we're going to look today and the next week as well on uh, some elements of the vision of Jesus for his church. What he's hoping for, what he's he expecting, what he's praying to God for with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what the Father certainly is going to give him and is giving him down through the ages. Uh, I'm hoping to cover three items this time. The first is a vi- Jesus had a vision of a church with stirred up hearts for the things of God. A church that is fully conscious that the grace of God is being poured on them, out on them individually and together in all kinds of a variety and a diversity of ways, with gifts, with divine appointments, with language of the Spirit, with scriptures that leap out at you, sermon points that especially hit home, with God dreams, with revelations, visions of Jesus and the reality of angels working in your life, circumstances that you know are right out of heaven and a personal blessing for yourself. A grace that is constantly stirring you and stirring me with our hearts for more and more of God himself. With the greatest and deepest respect for the sovereignty of God involved. Not the sovereignty of God and the by himselfness of God that would make us puppets or impede or neutralize our free will but recognize that God, who is freely giving us a free will, is also stirring us in our free will to will what he wills for us in the kingdom of heaven in relationship with the king. So let's read John 17, verse 1 and following. These words, the holiest of holies, 
and our hearts, we take our shoes off, O God, as we behold God the Son calling on God the Father in the anointing of God the Spirit for what he hopes for the church. Even new song 2,000 years later. This expression of the body of Christ. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. And you have given him authority over all flesh that he should have a, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. That's an important line. Underline it in your mind. To as many as you, God, have given me. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name, and then this line, to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. I'm so intrigued by these lines. To as many as you have given him, me, Jesus says, to the men you have given me, you gave them to me. There's a uniqueness about these 12, minus the one that was scripture prophesied would betray and leave. There is something of the sovereignty of God saying, I am giving these to my son and they will be the foundation, the platform for a billions and billions of people coming to eternal life through gift down through the ages till, till I come back. And I love C.S. Lewis's testimony when he describes how as an atheist he decided he would start to explore the possibility that there might be a God. Don't tell anybody about the exploration, but I'm going to actually kind of look at the idea. And as he began to sort of consider it, he began to realize even the notion to start considering it was a gift from heaven. And as he, even in his study as a professor of literature in Oxford University, even as he sat at his desk and prepared for his lectures on sec in secular literature, he would find himself suddenly within himself realizing that there was somebody else in the room. Moving in on him, crowding in on him. Later he would say, I came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. And he began to realize that it, wasn't so much his search for God as his responding to God's search and finding of him. And he described his own conversion, his own search for God. He said, to talk about my search for God is sort of like talking about a mouse searching for a cat. Aren't you God, glad God is like that with you? Down through the years, there's been, in his church history, as a student of historical theology, I've, there are essentially three 
definitions or descriptions of grace. One is a sacramental description where if you just do the sacraments, communion, baptism, penance, uh, and uh, divine unction and marriage, different things like that, there is uh, grace that's poured out on you. You can never know for certain that you're going to go to heaven, though. It's just a matter of, you know, just trust the church to, to give you the best chance of getting there by doing the sacraments. And, and grace will be given you um, that way. Another view of grace, of the three views I want to just briefly mention is the promise-only grace. The promise-only grace is that notion that it's based on a scripture, and it's a valid scripture. There's, a, there's some truth to it, for sure. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. God is over here, and he's absolutely full of promises. But you're over here, and in order to get the promises, man, you've got to buck up and find your way into God to receive the promises. That's... A wonderful truth. But I, I want to submit to you scripturally is that there's a place of grace where it is God himself that moves you to seek God for the promises. I had a theology course at a school that wasn't the main school that I went to, graduate school. I transferred the credit in, but I didn't really like the class that well because the, the, the professor right up front said, there is no such thing as grace. There's only a gracious God. And uh, in order to experience God's graciousness, you've got to find your way to God. And I had been studying, and I had been learning, and I had been re- reveling in the realities and, and basking in, this, in, the, in the beauty of the fact that, well, in a nutshell, Jesus put it this way, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Again, not to violate our free will, but it's a little bit like several of you contacted me and said you were going to bring Brendan me a meal and that you described what the meal was. And for days sometimes I would fantasize about the meal that was <laughs> coming. And uh, I'd think about it. I'd look forward to it. And then the evening would come and the meal would arrive. And at that point, I had a decision to make out of my free will. Will I eat this or not? But it was your fault. You influenced me to want the meal. Was my free will violated? No. I had a free choice not to do it. Was I going to avail myself of the free choice and say no? Heck no. I indulged the meal. You see, it is God who stirs up the hunger in us to step into him. And cherish and revel in and to absorb and own every single promise in the book. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's not just when you came to Christ. His continual work within you. Every God dream you have. Every scripture that jumps out. Every meaningful divine appointment you have. Every revelation of the things of the spirit. Every good thing that you can say. This is from the hand of God. This is you and God in the moment. This is grace moving in your life, stirring you to say hooray for the God 
who responds to us seeking him in the promises, but who also reaches into our lives when we were dead in trespasses and sins. I've not known a dead person to be able to have much action going on, (laughs) except when God raises them from the dead. But he breathed life into us, and we said, I believe, and I repent, I turn. The goodness of God himself stirs us to repent and draw us into himself to revel in the in the joys of his blessings. Hallelujah. To as many as you have given me, to the men you've given me, you gave them to me. In the teaching, this quote, in the teaching of the New Testament, quote by Dan Mickelson. In the teaching of the New Testament, grace includes a continual flow of supernatural heart-stirring desire for the things of God. He not only promises you food, he stirs the hunger. Hallelujah. Think about that as you consider Thanksgiving meal coming up. Jay Packer put it this way. God has committed himself to continue the work of grace, which he has begun, and we can hold God to this commitment. Will you hold God to that commitment to continue the grace he's begun in you? I hope you will. So Jesus has a clear vision for what he hopes for for his church. This holiest of holy experience that we're listening into in the communion of the Trinity. His vision includes a church with stirred up hearts for the things of God. Stirred up hearts in a way in which we will always, always say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, everybody believes this view of grace when they're on their knees thanking God for stuff. There's nobody that gets on their knees and says, dear God, I thank you that... uh, I thank you that I I had the wit and the wisdom to come to you and respond to you. No one says, I I thank you that I had the, uh, I put forth the effort or the work to respond to you. Mary hit it so profoundly last time that our focus is always on him. That there's always a continual flow of gratitude. That every movement we make towards God is first stirred by God in our hearts. And we live a life of humble, humble gratitude for his mercy, all caps, M-E-R-S-Y. Amen? Secondly, a vision of a church that fully keeps and receives the word. John 17, verse 6, as we go through this prayer, part of it as far as we can today. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And this line, and they have kept your word. They have kept your word. Now they have, they have known all, that all things which you have given me are from you. And then this line, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them, the words. This is an invitation by Jesus to a very personal and confident keeping and receiving of the word. John Stott put it this way, pretty theologian, a true Christian authenticates himself by his submission to the apostles' authority. A true Christian authenticates himself by his submission to the apostles' authority in the teaching of the New Testament. We believe the whole Bible 
but the Old Testament is the picture book. The doctrine comes from the New Testament. The Old Testament pictures illustrate New Testament realities. So the invitation from Jesus is to be all in with regard to the Bible, especially the apostolic teaching of the New Testament. John, the apostle, believed this very strongly. He expresses it not only in the words of Jesus in our passage in John 17, but as well in 1 John chapter 4, verse 6. We, that is us apostles, we apostles, are of God. He who knows God, listen to this, my friends. Don't let your mind wander. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. Here's the apostles. He who is not of God does not hear us. Jesus has given us a grace through the teaching of the apostles. And we humbly submit to all of it. We protect it. We defend it. We guard it. We believe it. It has everything we need for life and faith. For eternal life, both forever and now. Apostolic teaching. And it is to be embraced with gusto. Jerome, in translating the Greek to the Latin and the Bible for a thousand years from about the fourth century on, had a weak word in Latin for faith. Martin Luther came across it and he changed it in the Latin studies that he did with his buddies. The, Greek, the Latin word was fides, which was a weak word. And Martin Luther changed it in the Latin studies of the people that he worked with. They knew Latin then in Germany in the Reformation days. But he changed it to fidu, fiducia, which is a strong, confident, this is mine, I will never go back from it. Faith in the, in the Bible and in the gospel. It's like saying, man, I'm not tentative about this anymore. I'm not halfway about this in any sense of the word. I am all in, in confidence and in faith. Mary Vaughn put it this way last week, don't try. Mary, it reminded me of my eighth grade football coach. I mentioned to you in other, at other occasions that I was quarterback for our eighth grade team third string quarterback and there were only two strings <laughs> but the first string quarterback got a concussion in one game and then in the next game the per, the second string quarterback broke his finger and so they put third string quarterback in it's the end of the game and he told me to run a certain pass play not a long pass but we were behind and he wanted me to run sort of a swing pass play and I I hadn't been in a game yet it's the first time I was in a game. I just got into the game to watch for free, basically. It's kind of <laughs> so put my popcorn down <laughs> when he said, run this play, and I said, I'll try. And he looked at me real sternly. He said, Mickelson, don't try, do it. Mary, I, I remember that. And I ran the play, and we got the touchdown and won. Thank you, Jesus. Don't try, do it. And there's something about the promises in the New Testament 
that's a don't try invitation. It's, it's I'm going after this and I'm never going to go back. I'm not going to try this Jesus stuff. I'm all in and I'm never going back, ever, ever. My grandson, Dominic, is a very sanguine personality, six years old. And I was shocked at how, his, um, how he related to strangers when we were visiting over the times we visited them in Santa Barbara. But he ran across the, the, uh, the lawn uh, one day when I was there, went out of his way to, to go talk to some people that he hadn't met yet. And he introduced himself and talked to them as a six-year-old. And when he came back, I was shocked at how he expected to be accepted by them. And I asked Domi, I said, Domi, how many new people do you meet every day? He said, he said, Grandpa, I try to meet at least new, two new people every day. <laughs> and you know what? He expected to be accepted. And he's always a bit disappointed if people are reserved or don't want to be open with him as he is with them. My friends, I submit to you is there's a lot of areas that Dami is not like God. <laughs> believe me. But I want to tell you this. In this attribute, he is very much like God. God is going out of his way to be friendly to you. And for some of us, sometimes we think of him with judgment. We think of him as different than being warm and welcome because of his justice personality as well as his loving personality. I want to submit to you that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his justice is taken care of on your behalf. And he is full-on Dami related to you. And I want to invite you with the utmost uh, urgency that you don't do what some people do to Dami and don't receive his welcome. But to realize, as you consider in your own life, are there people in your own life that no matter what you do, they don't, they don't, they, they, they twist it in their own thinking as into something that, uh, uh, imparts wrong motives to you. There's nothing you can do that they can do that. There's nothing that you can do to change that everything you do, it's just like it's bad because how they see you. Please, let's not do that to God. Can we not do that to God? Can we not insult his grace and his mercy in Jesus? What I'm asking you to do, my friends, is to be all in with regard to the word and the promise of the word that God is a good, good father after all. Don't be tentative about it. Don't be halfway about it. Be full on. Mark Lutheran, Budakia. Confident, happy, receiving of the word. Receiving of his person. And finally, as we conclude this, a vision of a church that fully embraces with joy a revelation of God as Father. John 17, verse 8. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, Keep them through your name. I'm going to read that again. Holy Father, keep through your name. 
I'll pause there. What is the name? The name is Holy Father. Keep through the name Holy Father. Holy Father, keep through the name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them. How? In your name. Six times in this chapter, Jesus refers to God as Father. Over 200 times in the New Testament, he refer, the, the New Testament refers to God as Father. We only have a little hint of God as Father in the pages of the Old Testament, less than half a dozen times. And those candles, candle lights, appetizers of hope, that of all the names of God, could, could, could he be our dad? Over thousands and thousands of years, candlelights of hope with the coming of Jesus burst into a July, summer, sunshiny day of promise. He is indeed our Father. And everything that Jesus enjoyed of God as Dad, as Father, He blood-bought for you. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Get a hold of it. He blood that, bought that for you. He said, I am in the Father. Ooh. Dad. Dad? Ah, yeah. The Father is in me. Jesus blood bought that for you. And he turns to us and he says, the Father himself loves you. I love you with an everlasting love. Jesus is referred to by John in the first chapter of John as... You guys okay? Am I being a little too intense for you? Listen up. No one, no one stray. You're, you're thinking. I know lunch is coming, but hang in there. John refers to Jesus as living from the bosom, bosom of the Father. Heaven is referred to as the bosom of Abraham, symbol for God. When you get to heaven, bam, awareness of the love of the Father everywhere you are. But you've been blood-bought through Jesus' blood into a reality that you right now, like Jesus, are living from the bosom of the Father. It is yours. I appeal to you to see it in the name of Jesus. I appeal to you to see it, to be all in, to believe it, to fudakia, not fides, not nominally, not halfway, but full on in. The Bible teaches it's yours. Jump in. Water's fine. Triggers a deep, joyful experience. I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but because I need to conclude. But uh, I want to say that the scripture goes on to say that this revelation of, of the Father 
in verse 14, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's relationship with the Father is joy nuanced. Not always exuberant. Not always jump, jumping up and down with excitement. Sometimes. Be quiet, but deep. Deep joy. Every time you seek Jesus, you'll have a deeper revelation of the Father. Every time you seek the Spirit. He said, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Grammatically, that can mean the promise that the Father has given the Spirit, but can also grammatically mean that when the Spirit comes, you're going to get the Father. Have you noticed that as you seek the presence of the Spirit, you have a deeper joy of the Father? I hope so. If not, repent and start doing that. I conclude with the ways that the Father revealed himself redemptively in my crash. Brenda uh, encouraged me, if you start to cry, just pause, get a hold of yourself. Don't try to talk, so that's what I'm going to do. But we'll try to do it fast if we can. It is meaningful. So one of the revelations that I got, as I mentioned last time, was that because of Jesus' trauma, willingly... Gonna need a tissue. Willingly, he crashed. He submitted himself to head-on crash. So there would be redemption in your crash and mine. What is your worst crash? What hurts the most? What disappointment screams the loudest? Because he chose in love to crash on the cross. He crashed into death. There's redemption for your crash and mine. A few elements of my redemption. I called up the lady. The, the car hit my, if you didn't see the video, my car, a car behind me, hit, rear-ended me on my motorcycle. I, cra- I, I flew up into the air, and then the car crashed into the car in front of me. I called the lady uh, up that was in the car in front of me, and she said, I'm so glad you called. I'm a Christian. As soon as you screamed out in pain, even though I had an injury, I started interceding for you. Shake it off. (laughs) There was a redemption mercy from the very first seconds of the the hellish collision for me. Someone praying in the spirit for me. Kathy Kroll told me that she drove by the side of the crash and interceded for redemption out of the crash. And I took that verse that says God is able to answer and bless above and beyond what we were asked for even imagine. What I imagine is that her intercession can be applied retroactively to the moment of the crash. That's what I can imagine. God promises he, he will answer that prayer above and beyond what I can even imagine. 
Do I have the right to think that? And more. Uh, so, the fact that I got a video of it, I, found, I saw from the outside what happened on the inside. An old friend had a, had a son that just happened to live with a video security video camera on his front lawn that included the Jackson, East Jackson Street. And uh, he's, day of, he, he uh, shared the video, the 22-second video with his dad, who turns out was an old friend of mine when he posted it on Facebook. But I posted the accident on Facebook. The, no accident. Accidents are caused. The crash on Facebook. Accidents don't just happen. They're caused by sloppiness. But we forgive, right? <laughs> so he contacted me and said, hey, you want to see a video of the crash? And uh, when David did the editing and he told me that frame by frame look at it, I came pretty close to being crushed. I told God, I'm going to need some help here. Or I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. And you've got to help me here. And I felt like he said, Daniel, do you believe the New Testament? And I said, Lord, you know I do. And I felt like he said, do you believe all of it? Yes. Do you believe the part about angels helping and protecting? Yes. And it dawned on me that almost certainly God pulled me up or an angel pulled me up. And then the, when the car crashed to the, in, hit me and then crashed into the car in front of me, so I avoided being crushed. And then a few days later, I'm re audio reading the Bible through in a year. And I'm way ahead these days, but I get next time for study. <laughs> I got to October 22nd, and uh, it was Psalm 91. And I'd already been saying the phrase, praise you, God, that you chose to treat me with mercy and you sent an angel to pull me up. And I read, listen, in the version I read, it said, uh, he'll send his angels to pull you up with their hands and deliver you. God flooded the room. A revelation of God as dad flooded the room. I will never forget it. Those revelations are wonderful. I look for them. I long for them. I, I enjoy them. This is the most profound revelation of God as father I've ever had. Part of why I chose to teach this today. It's my own journey. But even more profoundly is, the, is this the reality that you don't have to wait for those moments that the word promises it, and we can live. We can live in the bright sunshine of his fatherly care. But his, inv his invitation is to jump in. Don't do it halfway. Get after it. Be among those that on the last day, when Jesus returns and the full fatherhood is revealed, that you will be among those that can know in your heart of hearts there is one thing you didn't try. There's one thing you did, and that is receive, receive fatherhood. Receive the bosom of the Father. 
not just forever, but for now. Will you do that with me? Let's stand. And let's worship the Father. Do some business with God yourself in the context of this worship. And we also will call the pastoral care team to come up right now to the altar. And if you would like prayer for a miracle, body, soul, or spirit, in the context of this worship, as we worship, come on up and get started getting some help. God wants to bless you today. I have a, right before, as the team is coming up, I have a couple words of knowledge that God gave me for the television audience as well as for people here. If you have migraines, I feel like, I believe God especially wants to heal, focus on migraines, diabetes, nightmares, numbness in your feet. Those areas are among those that he wants to especially minister to. And if you're watching from home, just like just touch that computer screen or that TV screen as a point of faith and receive the healing that we are believing God with you for today. Let's worship. boldly come on up and start getting prayer as we worship.
your hands and your heart for a moment. We bless the prayer of Jesus to his dad for you. That you are a person that is continually stirred up with hunger for the things of God. That he also stirs you up to respond to out of your free will. We bless ourselves with that. We bless ourselves with a full-on courageous receiving of the apostolic teaching and words of the New Testament and all the promises and guarantees therein. The challenges and directives to live a life that is consistent with and commensurate to the grace that is being poured into us by heaven. And we declare over ourselves an ever-increasing revelation of God as Father, that we are among those that dare to believe that He is for us, that mercy is indeed triumphing over judgment with reference to God Himself, that judgment is taken by Jesus and we only get mercy, capital M, capital E, capital R, capital C, capital Y, mercy. And we live among, we are among those that courageously live a life of gratitude for the outpouring of mercy that comes our way from the hand of our dad. We're all in and will not go back. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. God bless you. Have a good week.